Hello and welcome to the Peter the Water Dog Saves the Planet Peace podcast. In the next few episodes, I will share audio chapters of book one of the Peter the Water Dog Saves the Planet book series titled One More Year. I hope you enjoy this story with a message to keep your stuff longer, even if it's just one more year, and in doing so, buy less stuff. Please enjoy chapters 11 through 15 of One More Year, Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet, Primer 1. Chapter 11, Motorola 1991 StarTac Flip Mobile Phone. Tilly paddles next to Ike's boat with Pedro firmly planted on the front of the board. Suerte comes up and purrs loudly in response to her caresses. Pedro is jealous and pushes his nose between the two. Suerte hisses and gives him a swat. Sorry, P, you need to stay. Pedro lets out a whimper and curls up on the paddleboard. Hey, Suerte boy, where's Ike? Suerte jumps down and uses his paw to open the cabin door. Ike comes out with a book in hand and reading glasses on, grumbling at Suerte for disturbing him. Oh, hello, sunshine, how are you? He says with a big smile. I'm great, Ike. What are you reading? Another boat story? You got it. You know that's all I read. I decided several years ago that my boat and life could only accommodate nautical things. Nautical decor, nautical books, a nautical life. I'm rereading the Contiki. I love that book, especially the part where the fish are so plentiful they're jumping up onto the boat. What a great description. And the challenges they went through? That's the type of man you need. One of those no-nonsense, whiny-free Nordic adventures, Lars, or Dag, or the like. If I did need to find a man, a no-nonsense type would be my preference, but I don't. I know, I know, but someday you need not swim so fast. Tilly rolls her eyes. So what brings you to the pirate ship, other than my charm and handsome good looks? Tilly laughs, then turns serious. I came to visit, but I'm also curious if you heard anything about the logging trucks I saw the other day. I went to see Bear. He and Frida fed me some delicious, freshly caught barbecue trout and cheese and bread and fresh-picked huckleberries, and Ike reminisces dreamily of what other foods he had enjoyed. Mmm, and some huckleberry pie with ice cream. Ike pauses again with a smile, thinking about the food. I rode my bike out there, and you know, I still have the moves. Took a jump and made the landing. Felt like I was Joe Breeze being chased by Gary Fisher, taking the triple ripple on Mount Tam's repack with speed and grace. It was awesome. Ike is happily caught up in his food and bike dreaming. Tilly waits respectfully, amused, then clears her throat. Ike, what did Bear say? Oh, sorry. He said that he would make a ride up there and check things out and let me know. Thanks, Ike. Tilly's face is solemn now as she looks towards the mountains. Suerte jumps into her lap. I brought you some things from Sandglass Books. Ike's face lights up. You did? Yep, all nautical. Tilly hands Ike a paper bag. In the heart of the sea and the floating brothel. Thanks, I don't have either of those. I think I'll start the brothel book first. Ike opens the book and flips through some pages. I need to run. Text me when you hear from Bear, Tilly says as she puts Suerte down and stands up. 
text. I don't text. I have a flip phone from the 90s. How could that possibly still be working? Well, it is working, he says proudly, just like my 1960s boat and my 90s mountain bike, just like the 1972 microwave that I won't let Suerte stand in front of, just like my 1978 Honda three-wheeler motorcycle, just like me. I wish more people were like you, keeping their stuff longer. It might just save the planet. When you hear from Bear, call me from that flip phone. You got it. Tilly gets back onto her paddleboard with Pedro and pushes off the dock. Chapter 12. Northern Ohio Blanket Mills 1906 Green Plaid Wool Horse Blanket Bear rides his tall Clydesdale through the woods to the sacred grounds where there is a grassy mound of earth in the middle of a meadow with wildflowers growing on top of it and a large smooth oval stone. The area has other smooth stones in various places, and there is a fire circle made of rocks. Bear dismounts and leads his horse to the edge of the small hill. He stops and closes his eyes as the breeze carries leaves and the fragrance of pine, musty moss, wild jasmine, and the orange blossom scent of syringa into the air around him. Though perhaps the scent of jasmine flowers is left over from his last embrace with Frida. Bear opens his eyes and turns to look toward the sound of saws in the distance. He gets back on his horse and rides into the woods. He quickly arrives to tall trees crashing to the ground and groups of men loading logs with machinery onto semi-trucks. The sun bears down on the freshly cut stumps spread over the now stark bare hillside. One of the workers spots Bear riding up. He turns to the foreman, a tall, stocky man in his mid-fifties, with badly dyed jet black hair and points. Shit, the foreman says with a grimace. Bear approaches. Bear, you better get off that horse or he'll get spooked by the trucks. Gary, looks like you're busy pillaging the earth again. He's not spooked. This is logging, not pillaging. Where's your permit? I don't need to show you no goddamn permit, you son of a bobcat. Please don't use that kind of language around my horse. Go to hell, Bear. You've no business here. You're logging too close to the stream, and this hill's unstable. It's been that way since we played her as kids. We're fine. You get on out of here and mind your own damn business. It is my business when 500 tons of soil and debris crash down on our sacred land. It'll be the town of Sandglass's business when it heads down the hill. I've got orders for 11 log homes, not a single one under 10,000 square feet, and the owners want to get underway yesterday. We need these logs now. Bear's head sinks and he closes his eyes. He takes a breath, stands up straight, towering over Gary. It's a sad thing. A man spends his entire life sitting in a sterile office dreaming of coming to Montana or Sandglass. And when he finally retires, what does he do? Does he enjoy the land? Does he fish? Does he hike to find wild morels and huckleberries? Does he sit in a quiet kayak with his love? No, he spends the last precious years of his life building a 20,000-square-foot ego palace with master suites on opposite ends, chopping down half the forest to do it when he could have a wonderful life in a two-room cabin. Shove it, Bear. Always the gentleman. Your mother, Ida, my godmother, would be so proud of the man who came back to town to be big rather than a part of things, Bear says with pity in his voice. If you won't stop this, we'll get you shut down and removed from your position as Chief Nugent's. 
The logger standing next to Gary turns away to hide his laughter. Bear leads his horse around to leave. Gary looks down at his dark denim jeans with an angry, chump-faced frown. He walks up to the nearby truck and has the driver rev his engine. Bear's horse doesn't flinch and calmly carries Bear back into the woods. Chapter 13 25-foot, 130-horsepower, 1948, Classic Chris Craft Sportsman Graham and Roxy climb into a 1940s wooden motorboat. Graham is in shorts, a long sleeve white linen shirt, and topsiders. He expertly navigates across the lake and up a nearby tributary. They travel up the stream past kayakers, ducks, happy people floating in inner tubes with coolers of beer and the occasional otter. They arrive at a boat dock with a freshly mowed lawn and picnic tables in front of an old general store. Graham ties up the boat and steps onto the dock. Roxy hops out behind him. Graham is nervous. Roxy, are you with me? Roxy barks. They walk across the lawn into the store, and a young girl at the counter greets them. At the back of the store, an attractive, slender woman with shoulder-length auburn hair with a few strands of gray in her late forties welcomes them with a double take. Graham! Roxy! Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm fine. I haven't seen you in 26 months. I've been worried. Bill has been bringing me provisions. I've become somewhat of a hermit. I see that, she says, smiling. Graham touches his long beard. I need some things. Can you help me order them? Sure. What do you need? Here's my list. Whatever you don't have, I can come back for. Liz looks over the list. I have most of these. A few things I'll have to order, like Roxy Girl's special snacks. Is there anything else you need? Graham interrupts. I need a kit. A kit? She asks, surprised. Yes, Graham says, shyly, eyes diverted. That means you're cycling again. Well, I wouldn't say cycling. Just on the trainer with my trainer, Roxy. She's relentless. Ever since I got on a few days ago, she won't leave me alone until I've trained each morning. Good girl, Roxy, Liz laughs. My old cycling clothes are rags. It's nice they still fit. Fit is a relative term. It's a bit of a coincidence, but do you happen to know the huge alpaca farm down the road? Liz asks. Sure. Well, a fiber mill in Seattle is making knits for them. I've started a cycling line. Can I show you? If you hate it, you won't hurt my feelings. Surprised, Graham quickly says. I'd love to see it. How did you start that? It's the softest of soft, and I see all of the cyclists ride by my store, and well, you might or might not remember my dreams when we first met. Liz stops talking, looks at Graham. Did I hear you say you'd love to see it? I'd love to see it. Graham watches Liz walk into the back room. She turns around and catches him looking at her. Liz turns away, keeps walking, and smiles to herself. She returns with a jersey and holds it up. It is light blue with black sleeves and collar and woven from lightweight alpaca fiber with an emblem patch with the simple word Giro on one shoulder. Graham touches the jersey. Liz, this is fantastic. Looks like something from another era. I hope that's a compliment. It is. I don't have your size, but they'll be in by next week. I'll come back for it and the rest of the food supplies then. Do you have bike shorts? Graham asks. Don't laugh. They're traditional, but with a soft alpaca lining. Who's laughing? I haven't had anything even close to my shorts in years. Two pairs, please. 
Liz laughs. Graham puts his hand on top of hers. It's really great to see you, Graham says softly. Liz smiles at him, blushes, and looks away. Hey, Rox, let's let Liz get back to work. They walk outside towards the boat. Graham turns around to face Liz. Oh, I almost forgot. Do you know a girl with a black curly dog? She came onto the island and I wasn't very nice to her, I'm afraid. That's Tilly. Tilly. Okay, thanks. If you see her, will you apologize to her for me? After she left, I realized I was a grumpy ass. She's not the only one that left with hurt feelings. I know that, Graham says solemnly. I know. Graham and Roxy get into the boat. Don't be a stranger, Liz calls. She waves to them as the boat pulls away. Graham waves back. Roxy barks. Chapter 14 2003 Mini Cooper S with 303,311 miles. Camus pulls up fast to the Marina Dock parking lot with music blurring from her red 2003 Mini Cooper. It has white racing stripes and a broken glove box held up with matching red duct tape. She's singing along loudly to a fast tempo explicit rap song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. She jumps out of her car and sees Burr standing on the dock. Hey, handsome, where's Tilly? Tilly? Tilly's here? Don't ejaculate, jailbait. I'm just asking her whereabouts. I haven't seen her. Shit, she told me she'd be here at six. Camus hugs Burr. Thanks, buddy, she says and goes into the dockside restaurant bar. Kokanee, please. Sure thing, the bartender responds. How you doing today? Great, except my friend, the human Swiss watch is late. She's never late. Better give me a shot of Cuervo, too. Camus looks at the time on her phone. You got it. A dripping wet Pedro comes bounding into the bar. Hey, that dog will have to stay outside. Pedro doesn't obey. He travels from Camus to the bartender, then to the guests in the restaurant. Some are incredibly happy to receive a wet kiss. Others, not so much. Tilly rushes in. P, come. Pedro runs to her, and she puts him on the leash. That's her, my better half, Camus says to the bartender, then exasperated to Tilly. Where have you been? Out on the lake. Out on the lake? That's a huge lake, and you've gone out on that godforsaken lake ever since I've known you, and you are never, never, ever late. Were you worried? I sense some worry, Tilly teases. Yes, I was worried. Camus takes a deep breath, followed by the shot of tequila. Would you like some tequila? Why not? Two more shots of Cuervo and two kokini, please. Camus downs her second shot and hands Tilly hers. Tilly takes a moderate sip. Camus grabs it from her and finishes it off, then suddenly wraps her arms around her friend in a firm hug. Please don't do that to me again. Tilly hugs back. I'll do my best. Let's go outside, she says as she walks towards the outdoor patio. The two sit down at a table and Pedro lies down at Tilly's feet. Tilly pulls a one-more-year t-shirt out of her backpack and hands it to Camus. Thanks! Camus takes her t-shirt off. As she sits in her bra, feeling openly voluptuous, she glances around to see if any men are watching. None are. She shrugs and pulls the OMY t-shirt down over her head. Looks good. It's cool. Thank you. Camus smiles, then says dryly, So, what's new since this morning when you canceled on me? I'm sorry. You know that word doggedly? Well, that's P for persistent. Pedro's ears perk up when he hears his name. Camus rolls her eyes. I didn't do much out of the ordinary today, Tilly pauses. 
I've decided I'm going to do an Iron Man. Camus pretends to fall off her chair. Whoa, Nellie, why the hell would you want to do that? Tilly shrugs. It looks majorly brutal. You can't even cycle. I can ride a bike. Riding a bike and cycling are two different things. You don't even own a bike. I can get a bike. You need a real bike, not some used, thrown-together bike that will get you killed if it falls apart. We have the best bike surgeons in the world here in Sandglass. Reef might fix me up. What about P? He's a water dog, not a cycling dog. It's a triathlon. He swims and runs with me. I'm pretty sure I can train him to run with a bike. They sit in silence. Hey, what in the world is with you? You're not usually negative Nancy. Camus is quiet, not her natural state. We always do things together. You keep up with me and I keep up with you. Well, not quite, but nearly. And we end up together in the end. It's just that lately, since you got Master Waterdog here, Pedro, and now you're set on this Iron Man, woman idea, well, I'm worried I won't see you. Tilly hears the voice of her kindergarten best friend in her words. That could never happen. If I decide to do this, I'll need your help. I'll need you to be my coach. Really? You'd have to chill a bit on the beer offerings, but yes. Camus brightens. Well, of course, silly. I'm the only one who could whip your skinny ass into shape. Yes, I know. I just remembered something, Camus says excitedly. What's that? Liz at the store has an old friend who stopped by to order some things. He asked about you and wanted to apologize. Apologize about what? That he was rude to you? Ring a bell? Tilly pauses to think. The old man on the island? That guy didn't seem to be able to do anything but angrily bark. Pedro barks. I trust your astute observation, but Liz told me he wanted to apologize. That's surprising. This guy on the island, the grumpy old dude, is a major former cycling guy, a real athlete. Or at least a former athlete. Why don't we ask Liz if he'll train you? Camus quickly corrects herself and sits up tall. Train you in cycling, that is. P will train you in swimming and I'll train you in running. Assuming I would want to have that mean old guy coach me, what makes you think he'd do it? He's up there in his crow's nest in the boondocks, not doing anything else. Why wouldn't he? But mainly, it's just a feeling I have. Lucky for you, I believe in that stuff. Tilly smiles, then asks playfully, What can I do to pay you as my coach? You know I'm poor. You can pay me by introducing me as your coach in front of all the handsome guys caught in your triathlete wake. They're all yours. Cheers! Camus raises her glass to meet Tilly's. Here's to Tilly, Iron Woman. Chapter 15, Art Deco, 1923, Walnut Burl Armoire with Big Light Pulls. Liz sits at her design desk in a small cabin overlooking the lake and sings along to Madeline Perrault's Don't Cry Baby. She has a desk lamp to illuminate her workspace as she sketches a cycling jersey. She lifts the sketch, picks up some alpaca fabric, holds it to her cheek, and closes her eyes. She puts the drawing and the fabric down and walks to an antique Art Deco armoire, opens the cabinet door, and pulls out a photo in a frame along with a tiny silver charm in the shape of a castle. She dusts the picture off to reveal a grainy-colored image of a young, smiling couple standing with road bikes on a mountainous road in the Italian Alps. The man holds a leather sandal in the air triumphantly. Liz looks intently at the photo and small charm. 
starts to put them back in the armoire, but pauses and places them on her drawing board instead. Bear dismounts his horse in front of the cabin, and Frida rushes out to greet him. Bear ties up the horse, then bends over to pick her up with his arms around her waist. She looks intently at his face, and he at hers, and they kiss deeply. He puts her down gently. It's worse than I thought, he says solemnly. Liz puts merchandise away in her store as she hums along to the music playing. A young girl at the counter helps a couple with a little boy. She brings up two house-made vegetarian meatloaf sandwiches, chips, two beers, a homemade oatmeal raisin cookie, and a carton of chocolate milk. The wall phone rings and the young girl calls out to Liz, It's for you. Liz walks behind the counter and takes the phone. Hello? Liz, it's Graham. Hi, Graham. What a nice surprise. Do you remember Bill? Yes, of course. He's going to come and pick up my things when they arrive. It's all here. She feels a bit of disappointment that Graham will not be returning soon, but says Berkeley, That's nice of him to pick them up. When's he coming? I was hoping tomorrow and that you'd join us for dinner. Hmm. I think I can, she pauses considering. That would be nice to join you all for dinner. Let me see if I can get the store covered. Can I get back to you with an email? I don't have email. Well, maybe it's time you turned your computer on, Liz teases. Graham laughs. Maybe I should. Bill will be at the store to pick you up at 5 p.m. tomorrow unless I hear from you. I look forward to it. Bye, Graham. Liz hangs up the phone. She glances at the young girl, raises her eyebrows and smiles, then looks out over the river. The hermit can cook, it turns out. Bill drives a vintage convertible through the Okanagan wine country with his wife, Patricia. Patricia is in her 60s with blonde gray hair and looks like an elegant actress straight out of a golden era movie in her dark sunglasses and a flamingo pink silk scarf around her head. Bill's cell phone rings and he answers it on the car's speakerphone. Is everything all right? Yes, I'm just calling you, Graham responds. I'm surprised you're calling me. You haven't called me in three years. I thought you didn't have a phone. Funny. Remember when you said to ask you if I ever needed anything? Yes, of course. Well, I need something. I need you to pick some things up for me at the Herd River store and bring them to my house. Sure, no problem. When do you need the stuff? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm in Summerland in the Okanagan Valley with Patricia. Hi, Patricia, I miss you. I miss you too, darling, she shouts over the breezy road noise. And I need you to pick up Liz and bring her too and take her back after dinner. Patricia, please come too. Graham, I don't understand the rush. Why? Patricia interrupts. Of course we will. Where do we go and when? Just search the Herd River store. It's a local institution. I told Liz to be ready at 5 p.m. What's the cargo weight? Not much. Four or five boxes, including two cases of wine. Not a problem. I've been training. That's excellent news, Bill exclaims. We'll bring dessert, Patricia adds. To be continued. Podcast music is Dalai Lama Riding a Bike by Javier Peque Rodriguez. A link to his music on Spotify and Bandcamp are in the show notes. Support messages of peace in the planet by joining my Patreon for as little as a cup of coffee per month at patreon.com. Just search Avis Kalfsbeck or Pedro the Water Dog to find me. Pedro the Water Dog saves the planet books one through five 
are available at all your favorite online bookstores or at avaskalfspec.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Thank you again. Listen for the peace. Thank you.